in this prayer, this, this final prayer over the disciples before Jesus is arrested and crucified. This is that night. This is that night. This is his prayer. This is a moment where he's about to take leave of his disciples and face the hours ahead. And this is what he has to say to God in those moments. This is what he would have his disciples overhear in these minutes. And he talks to God as if God is other, as if God is listening. And he talks to the disciples as if they are other. And also in confidence that they are listening. So there is this separation that he is using his words to cross toward God and uses words to connect a distance between himself and his disciples. There is a uniqueness going on in God the Father and in Jesus and in the disciples. And Jesus is acknowledging that. And don't we know it? I mean, our senses tell us that we are all unique. So he was praying from the position that we all inhabit in this world with confidence that God is listening, but with the awareness that there is some sensible, perceptive separation. In other words, in other words there is diversity. In other words, uh, the, very, the very Godhead that expresses itself in this relationship of what we call three persons who are never melted into one another and yet are never anything but one. I mean, you know, this is mind-blowing stuff. And what Jesus says is, as you and I are one. This is his final night. He's praying, as you and I are one, so may they be one with you. And in that same, in those same chapters, Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, as God loves me, so I love you. Love one another as God, as I love you. I mean, just, you hear all the, you hear all the gathering. So in this particular prayer, that they may be one as you and I are one. Jesus is showing us what only the eyes of faith can see is that somehow we do not exist apart from God, that we do not exist apart from Jesus, that Jesus does not exist apart from God, and, and therefore we do not exist apart from one another. With the eyes of faith, we are called to celebrate and continue the diversity that we've been given. We are called to celebrate our various gifts, our various colors, our various, all the variety, all the variety there is in the world. We are called to honor and celebrate it and at the same time trust the word of God that says we are in fact also one. It's a unity that does not obliterate or in any way compromise our individuality or our diversity, but in fact transcends it. 
not sure I want to go from here. I just, you know, we are, we are called to exercise that faith, to celebrate our diversity, just as Jesus did, and to exercise that faith, to honor our uniqueness while, while trusting in the absoluteness of our interconnectedness. And that's hard to do because with our senses, we are so aware of the differences, aren't we? We're so aware of one another's differences. And that's a way of glorifying God is to be aware of them. But to imagine that somehow we are separate, that our lives matter more or less, that some of us who experience the privilege I know in my life uh, are somehow more loved or more blessed than, uh, than those who are differently abled, differently colored. That's what this is about. That's what life in God is about. And I want to say, I know I, sh I shouldn't continue, and yet I, I can't help but say I'm, I'm seeing Darren. I'm seeing Samantha. Uh, most of you know by now that we stood up in a way of uh, a kickoff for the Poor People's Campaign. The Poor People's Campaign is a national campaign that's meant to raise attention and awareness to systemic racism, to systemic poverty, to environmental desecration, to the war economy, to the moral narrative that needs to be um, worked with, <laughs> to, to shift the moral narrative as we hear it. Uh, all of that, we, we stand and uh, the ones we need to hear from are the people who are directly impacted by these things, right? That's who we need to hear from, and that's who we do. So on the State House steps on Monday, there were people directly impacted by, by these systems that suppress, these systems that oppress. And we, we were called, as members of faith communities, as members of moral communities, we were called to stand with them and to witness with them. So after the impacted people spoke, several of us who are faith leaders spoke also in a way of uh, supporting them. And uh, it was a privilege. But you know, there weren't many people there. That's not going to be the only way we're going to raise awareness. That's not going to be the only way. There's also an act of civil disobedience that gets attention when coming to the State House steps in a 90-degree afternoon didn't, you know? And so we marched on to a place where we, uh, together, Darren and Samantha and 14 others of us, blocked a city street, ever so briefly, really, and uh, were arrested for that. And taken into the precinct and booked and handcuffed and, and booked and, and fingerprinted and released on our own recognizance. And what I'm trying to get here to get to now is that I was so aware in those moments, even handcuffed, I was so aware that as a white woman, a Christian in a Christian nation, uh, a woman whose faith requires that I behave that way, a woman whose boss here in Fayetteville, Dennis, said, you go, girl, a woman whose bishop said, you'd better be wearing your collar when you do that. <laughs> there was so much support. It cost me nothing. Darren, I don't know what it cost you. I don't want to speak for you. Sam, I've heard her say it. It cost her nothing 
And it, it could almost have felt like a dry experience until we were in the paddy wagon, until we were in the paddy wagon and one of our impacted sisters, one of the people subject to these systemic evils that we live among, one of these sisters began to have a critical claustrophobia. And we were handcuffed, and we could do nothing for her. And she was frightened, and she was doing everything she could to bear it, and we were helpless. But suddenly something happened, didn't it, Darren? Something happened, and we were one with her. We didn't relieve her, but we experienced that with her, and she, we hope and pray, and seem to perceive our peace, our stability. There was something that happened in that paddy wagon that gave me a glimpse, a glimpse, a glimpse of what it might be to be impacted. I was safe. We were all safe. Surely there are moments in your lives when you felt so terribly alone and you were suffering something that couldn't be relieved by someone else and yet someone, and I know you do this for each other, someone drew near. And because that person drew near, because they did, you somehow didn't feel alone and even though you were still suffering, whatever that was, you somehow were able to bear it? That's the yoke of Christ. That's the yoke Jesus talks about. I've gone on too long because I'm still processing this, but we are called to celebrate what makes us unique and to do it together, acknowledging that privilege separates us. And for a moment, my privilege did not separate me. And for a moment, didn't that feel holy? 